The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Star Wars 7x7 episode 3177. The Convert is chapter 19 of The Mandalorian or season 3 episode 3 if you prefer. And funnily enough, Din and Grogu are practically an afterthought in this episode. We'll dig in with a five takeaway breakdown for you right here. Punch it! Hey, Bebel Razor, I'm Alan Voivod, and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy, and thank you so much for joining me for it. So, chapter 19 of The Mandalorian, The Convert, is really interesting in terms of its structure, but it also kind of made me think of the broader structure of the first three episodes of the show. In particular, I got to thinking about the first three episodes of Andor, and how they interspersed the initial story arc with scenes from Cass's time on Canari. It feels like they could have been doing the same thing with these first three episodes of season three of The Mandalorian, interspersing the story of Mando's attempt to redeem himself in the living waters underneath the minds of Mandalore with Dr. Pershing's initial forays into reintegration with the New Republic. But instead, we get Bo and Mando bookending this episode with a giant chunk of Dr. Pershing in the middle and... I want to talk about Bo-Katan first, so this will be my second takeaway for the episode. The first being the whole bit about how the structure is kind of unusual the way that they've laid things out these first three episodes, at least for me. Uh, that's my experience, but I'd love to hear what you think about that. So chime in on YouTube where you're seeing comments right there, and for audio listeners, please head over to SW7X7.com and drop a comment in the blog post for this show's episode. So this is a big episode for Bo-Katan. First of all, she confirms what we were talking about about in our deep dive episode last week. She's the only person who saw the mythosaur. Mando was unconscious during that whole situation and is unconscious as we see them at the beginning of this episode. So the sighting of the mythosaur is for her and for her journey. But as they head back to Kalavala, they're attacked by TIE Interceptors, and then Castle Kreez is bombed by TIE Bombers, and then even more TIE Interceptors show up. First of all, this was a fantastic action sequence with all the dogfighting happening there, so I love the heck out of that. The fact that one of the characters, and I think it's the Mandalorian who knows that this seems like way too many Imperial ships for any warlord that might be kicking around, I think that might be a bit of foreshadowing for us. We get a reinforcement of the idea that Bo-Katan had been hijacking ships from various Imperial warlords, but her group of Mandalorians had been using them and were intending on retaking Mandalore at some point with them, but then they abandoned her after the events of Season 2, and so these very well could be the same Mandalorians coming back and deciding, okay, yeah, we're really going to make sure that we cut ties with Bo-Katan. And it's possible that Bo-Katan has arrived at this conclusion herself, because by some lucky happenstance, she hasn't removed her helmet since she went for a dive in the mines of Mandalore, so now... 
according to the armor, she is now officially a child of the Watch. She has been redeemed in their eyes and can be a part of their whole situation. This opens up a lot of possibility for Bo-Katan as she contemplates the giant Beskar Mythosaur skull hanging in the Mandalorian covert caves. She's not a leader of the Children of the Watch just yet, but she's in a prime position to do so, and similar to how Paz challenged the Mandalorian for control of the Darksaber during the Book of Boba Fett, now Bo-Katan can challenge the Mandalorian for control of the Darksaber in this environment as well, and it would work basically just as well as when <laughs> it went down with Din and Paz on the Ring of Glavis. I think that's what it was called. The Ring World of Glavis, right? Yeah, you know what I mean. So now she's in a position to actually fight him in a manner that the armor would endorse and to get the Darksaber in a manner that the armor would endorse. But these other Mandalorians that used to be part of her crew would probably end up challenging her for it once they show up. And show up again, I'm pretty sure they will. So that's our second takeaway. Third takeaway has to do with Dr. Penn Pershing. It's always fun to get a full name. We now know that his first name is Penn. There's a lot of things actually in this episode that remind me of the Andor series, and Penn Pershing's fate is one of those things. He seems to be having basically a Cyril Karn kind of experience where he is no longer in the job that he once had, but he aspires to and dreams of fulfilling the job that he has been unfortunately removed from, unfortunately from their perspectives. And instead they've been relegated to cubicle work doing things that are below what their normal expectations would be. Now, is it possible that Pershing has been redeemed that he actually wants to do the right thing? You know, it's funny, I was watching this and thinking about the, the Dark Knight Returns of all things back in the 80s, the Frank Miller reimagining of Batman, and one of the things in there, they say that Batman slash Bruce Wayne has paid for not only psychological treatment for Harvey Dent, but also cosmetic surgery as well, hoping that there is a way to have him integrate healthily back into society. Just the optimism that Bruce Wayne has, but also, you know, hedging his bets by keeping an eye on him too, right? So I feel like I have that similar situation for Dr. Pershing, that I want to believe that his ideas are good, that his intentions are good, and that he really does want to reintegrate into society and be a good person, but he also just seems to be in a similar <laughs> kind of thing relating to The Dark Knight Returns. The psychologist in there talks about people being weak-willed and getting drawn into other people's uh, psychoses or issues, if you will. And that seems to be the case with Dr. Pershing as well. He just seems to not have enough of a will of his own and gets drawn into other people's plots. For a fourth takeaway, let's talk about <laughs> one of those folks into whom's web Dr. Pershing so readily falls. That would be Elia Kane, who was previously just the unnamed communications officer on Moff Gideon's light cruiser. Holy cow, Katie O'Brien, who plays Elliot Kane, is just fantastic. The menace and absolute dedication, diehardness to Moff Gideon's cause radiated off of her in season two of The Mandalorian, and it is so terrific to have her back here just because she was such an ardent follower. I have to admit, when I saw her, 
Even in those first moments, I thought, oh no, this can't be a reformed <laughs> comms officer. This is something else going on. Like, absolutely not what it seems. And it turns out that was the case. There's this quiet sort of, yeah, I'll help you. I'll help you get your laboratory stuff. And you could tell she was working him. You could tell that all along. But... I think the assumption was that, oh, she's doing this because she's still connected to Moff Gideon. And so <laughs> that's part of the whole plan to get him out of the rehabilitation program and get him back into Moff Gideon's care because we find out that Moff Gideon has either escaped or been mind flayed. I'm sure it's probably that he's escaped because we know from Giancarlo Esposito's talk that Moff Gideon has a lot bigger role to play in the future of the Mandalorian and he's not going to be able to do that while mind flayed which sounds horrible so yeah probably escaped on his way to the war tribunal like one of those stories was but we got one twist and then we got another twist first it looked like she was actually acting as a double agent for the new republic that she was testing these new recruits and these new acceptees into the amnesty program to see whether they would lean back or go back to their old imperial ways and it turned out that pershing yeah just weak-willed and sucked in so uh, i don't know if it was fair to put the temptation there for him so quickly and so early after his admission into the program i mean maybe that's just me and maybe that's my you know inherent optimism hoping that yes he could have been reformed but then when everybody's gone she turns up the dial and starts mind flaying him so what is her game i think there are two possibilities at this point one of them could just be simple vengeance that dr pershing was somebody who got her into this predicament and so she's taking out what anger and aggression she has that she's managed to hide from everyone else just taking it right out on him in that moment so that's one thing it's not necessarily completely exclusive to what the other thing is but it could be the other thing is that she's still somehow connected to and working with moff gideon so she's what a triple <laughs> agent then or something like that oh yeah and so she would mind flay him because she got what she needed from him got access to his research somehow but he's not supposed to have access to it because of the coruscant accord so not really sure about that necessarily but apparently if she is working for moff gideon then they don't need dr pershing anymore which makes me wonder if this is where we're going to see christopher lloyd down the line because he is supposed to be in season three of the mandalorian and if there ever was a crazy older scientist guy <laughs> out there for someone to play well christopher lloyd would be the perfect person for it and the last takeaway from the episode is to do with Din Djarin and Grogu. It's rather surprising that Din and Grogu are practically an afterthought in this episode, right? So Din is redeemed, but didn't see the mythosaur. He manages to help Bo-Katan with all of these TIE interceptors and takes her to the Mandalorian covert to hide, so that's great. He's able to prove to the armorer that he has bathed in the living waters and in so is officially redeemed. But that situation was kind of framed for us in teasers and trailers as what the season would be about. That 
it would be about him working to get his redemption in some fashion. And he was supposed to, you know, get a droid to speedlunk with him and do all these other things. And none of that happened. And thankfully for him, it didn't. <laughs> it was a lot simpler than that. Except, of course, getting assaulted by the Alamites and getting captured by that crazy crab mech thing and having to be rescued by Bogotan and then getting sucked under the waters and almost drowning. But you get what I mean. We're three episodes in and his major journey has been completed for this season. So what's next? I feel like we are really entering into uncharted territory because we've seen a lot so far from these first three episodes of the things that we saw in the teasers and trailers. We still haven't seen Mandalorians on Navarro just yet, and that's probably going to tie back into the whole pirate scenario. And we've talked about how there's very likely going to be Mandalorian versus Mandalorian clashes, and I think we've now set up the parameters for those. And those are the things I wanted to flag for your consideration for Chapter 19 of The Mandalorian, The Convert, Season 3, Episode 3, and that is going to do it for this episode of the podcast. It just remains for me to say thank you so much for joining me for it. As always, and may the Force be with you wherever in the world you may be. Star Wars 7x7 is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited by their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2021 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.